This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowships. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. The title of our message this morning is Who is Your Daddy? Well, I welcome our online listeners. Today's message is called Who's Your Daddy? And we are going to be talking about a lot of details about why God made men, why God made fathers, and um, the three primary different types of fathers that there are, and how Satan is trying to replicate every one of those roles. Um, But to get things started, if you want to join me in um, John chapter 8, verse 44. So if you want to uh, turn to that passage. And someone read for us John 8, verse 44. 44. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when you look at the verse right above that, uh, when Jesus is appealing to them, saying, Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. So this is a very significant thing that that Jesus is um, not just pointing out. He's actually separating true believers from those who are of the father of lies. And he is saying here that it is impossible for them to actually understand him and hear his word because we only are able to hear the words that are coming from the Father, whoever your Father is. Then he goes on to say, you're not of, you're not of my Father, you are of the Father of lies. And he clearly says that... Um, Satan is their father, and he clearly says that Satan is the father of lies. So as we start unfolding this message today, it's pretty critical for us to understand that Satan knows exactly how strategic it is for mankind to understand the role of father. Last week we talked about every person needs to understand that men, male children, are born not just to be men, they are born to be fathers. And it doesn't mean they have to be natural fathers, but it does mean that they have to be a father. Every man is designed in God's design to grow up and father children. And if it's like Paul, where there's no physical, natural children, then he is to be the spiritual father of many children. In fact, he is. It's why uh, one of the reasons why we are sitting here today is because his obedience to being a spiritual father of multiplying the church, particularly the Gentile church. So, let's break this down a little bit and, and take a look at it. John 8.44 tells us we carry out the desires of the Father. Now, uh, something that that a lot of us Christian counselors use in the office is to have a counselee list out the desires of their Father that they're aware of. And that is good or bad. It could be anything from alcoholism to to uh, having desires of searching out the Lord. 
but it's a, it's a good exercise to actually list out the desires you are aware of that your father had or has. Because there is a dynamic in the way that we are created and the way that we are formed by God to actually carry out the desires of a father. So if you want to know why you do a lot of the same things that your father was doing, is because it is actually inside your design to carry out the desires of the father. Well, Satan knows that, so that's why he wanted to be the father. He didn't try to seize the role of Jesus Christ, the son. You would think that's what he would go for. I mean, or the Mormons at least believe that. That there's a fight over that role. And that's why the Mormons refer to Jesus and Satan as brothers. But he was actually trying to seize the role of the Father. Because desires are carried out from the Father. So when you want to talk about sins of the forefather, this is the connection. So you want to talk about blessings of the forefather, this is the connection. Desires are, are designed to be passed down from generation to generation. So in our design by the father, we are obligated to fulfill and carry out his desires. That's the ultimate goal. Well, the same thing applies concerning our being tempted to carry out the desires of the father of lies. And who is that again? It's Satan. He is a daddy. When we ask the question of who's your daddy, that's a, that is the, the question to ask humans. Because that is where they're going to get their desires. And if you're trying to help someone, that's how you're going to help them be freed from desires of the forefathers. Or to help someone get in touch with their gifting and what they, the, the positive desires, the godly desires that they're getting from their father is because of this principle. Satan did not list out 150 goals and objectives to accomplish before the second coming of Jesus Christ. Only one. Only one objective is, is what he's been focusing on since the first time he tried to take over to becoming the father of lies and to seize the position again of being Abba the Father. Only one. You can write endless books about what Satan's trying to do in the end times and prophecies and, and, and whatever. Those are details describing one primary goal that he has, and that is to seize the role of the Father. Why is the role of man, manhood, boyhood, male child so significant to God, so significant to the church, supposedly, is because of this. That's how simple the, the, the fight of the demonic world and how the blessings of God's spiritual world works. It's that simple. Christ had to come and reunite us back to the Father so we could actually carry out His desires. So we could actually read this like this. Why do you understand, instead of not understand, it's why do you understand what I am saying? It is because you can hear my word. See, he's saying that to this group. Why, why do you not understand me? It's because you can't hear my word. So when you're addressing a congregation or when you're addressing an individual and they're acting like they don't understand the basics of truth, you should file that person as an unbeliever. You don't have to go broadcasting it and sound like a judgmental prophet or something. Just file them as an unbeliever until God gives you confirmation that they, they understand the basics of truth and the basics 
of hearing God's word. In this little passage, he's talking about uh, Satan cannot function as a real father because there's no truth in him. There's nothing in him for truth to bear witness with. That is how you get understanding. Do you understand that? When someone says to you, as you're sharing the word of God with them, I understand. It's because of the truth in them bearing forth witness of the truth you're sharing with them, and that's what grants understanding. Why? Because they heard the word. They didn't hear Finney. They heard the word in what Finney was saying. Jesus is saying the truth is not in Satan. So there is absolutely no way he is going to understand what it is I'm about to tell you. Jesus also understood that the Pharisees would, was, were not going to understand what he was saying. Because if you remember, he said, you are of your father, What's the rest of it? Satan. So, this is the basic, fundamental foundation of why people cannot hear the truth and be set free. This is it. We have hundreds and thousands of books being written on truth or why people can't understand it or helping people understand it. They are absolutely fruitless without the Holy Spirit being the one in them that bears witness with the truth. Then when they read a book, it brings clarity to existing truth. It doesn't give them truth. It bears witness to existing truth truth within them. Jesus is saying here, the truth is not in Satan. So let's reread it. You are, uh, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. But you see, there is certainly evidence that Satan stands firmly in his position. And you find preachers and teachers all over the world through the generations standing in their position. But it does not mean they're standing in truth. So for us to really understand what truth is, betrothment, becomes our, our, our answer to what it is we are supposed to and what we've been given the privilege to stand in. So all this started in the beginning of the world or in the first records of the enemy represented. This refers to the seduction of Adam and Eve. The devil deceived our first parents and they became subject to death and to the father of lies. For he was the cause of why death, why death became or came into the world. And he, uh, he, may, he may be said to have a murderer in that act or a form in the beginning. His work has been to destroy. And in the worst sense of the word, he is the murderer. And as I've shared with you before, a lot of the uh, Greek translations or, or words to define murder are not necessarily physical death. It is termination of relationship. It is a cutting off. So when Satan did what he did in the garden, he cut the umbilical cord between Adam and Eve and God the Father. That life source got cut. 
Adam and Eve had a, had a uh, they were the first two that did not have a belly button. And from there forward, the whole life going to the child and cutting the umbilical cord was literally the expression of this. That cutting off of the life source. Belly buttons literally become now a symbol of the sin in the garden. That's how detailed God is about his gospel. If Adam and Eve would never commit that sin, there would actually be no need for a cutting off of life and a regaining of life because they would have life forever after because of God's design. Now using the belly button illustration, when we are given our new bodies, are we going to have belly buttons? No. no. That's the point of the kid's song. We will not have belly buttons with our new bodies because of the principle of we have been completely restored back to the Father as our life source by His design and His creation, even of this new body. So therefore, we can literally look at the cutting the umbilical cord and that constant work of training up children in the way that they would go so that when they get old they will not part is so that the aftermath of sin and that independence and being cut off from the life source does not lead them to another father, the father of lies. There's your gospel message and why we are to share the truth until the Holy Spirit grants permission for them to understand the truth. There are three primary actions of destruction the enemy wants to pass to earthly fathers. Number one, someone read that out for us. Be departed from the truth or become false and a liar. So whenever you are removed from the life source, truth, you are a liar. There's no in-between. There's no third God somewhere. There's no half-truths. If you depart from the Father, you are a liar. Do you understand that? The only life source there is for receiving truth to set you free is from the Father. The reason why there's this thing called devotions is to keep you connected to the truth. When in reality, you really have the truth already existing in you and you're reading these devotionals to bring a fresh, refresh you of what is already truth in you. That's identity in Christ. There are people that literally pray the fruit of the Spirit into their life. There's books actually written on each one of the grapes. How to be more patient, how to be more kind, how to be more loving. That is lies. There's no truth in that approach to growing in Christ. Fruit is a result of walking after the Spirit. Walking after truth. When you walk after truth, you get fruit and you get it all at one time. It may be small or it may be mature. But it is a result. Satan's coming along and saying, I'm going to give this to you in such a twisted way, you're going to think this is how you get truth. So what he does is he takes the actual grapes and he says to Christians, now you need to practice these. Practice makes perfect. No, practice makes sat satanicism. Do you realize that Satan was the very first perfectionist? Well, let me define perfectionism. Perfectionism is putting things in external order in order to feel emotionally in order. So Satan became the very first one to do things right by appearance. 
but he's going to hell in a handbasket. He is, when he even comes as the Antichrist, he's going to be spotless. He's going to be beautiful in appearance. He's going to be very organized. He's going to have all, all his stuff in a group. He is going to be a perfectionist. It's his perfectionism that sent him to hell. True perfectionism is someone who owns the perfection of God. That's the true definition of perfectionism. And Satan tried to own God's perfection instead of giving God the glory for it. And since he tried to own it and thought he did own it now, he tried to take over the role of perfection, the throne of God. So that is his technique. He's constantly throwing little to-dos at you. If you do this, you will be a better Christian. If you look at the ceiling when you worship, you'll look like a better Christian. If you use a certain verbiage in your prayers, you'll sound like a better Christian, a growing Christian. The church is filled with these lies. Instead of just staying connected to betrothment in Jesus Christ. Someone read number two. To be a liar, to carry out the nature and work of the father of lies to deceive. So, <clears throat> if someone's a real good deceiver, do you know that they're lying to you? No, they're not a good deceiver. A good deceiver is someone who can present something with truth as truth and say it is true, and the person who is listening to them goes, hmm, yeah, I can see that. I had a Christian leader say to me, and in the ministry goals we're working on, we're going after some of these these uh, ministry leaders and what they're believing and if they're going to be a part of this truth project we're working on, if you want to call it that, the exchange life thing that I've been sharing with you guys. And one of these leaders said to me this past week, how in the world could a man like Rob Bell stand in front of 14,000 people and all those people not catch that he is deceiving them with the, truth of, with the truth of God. What's the answer? That's a, that's a real question. What's the answer? How can 14,000 people sit in an auditorium listening to a Joel Olstein or a Rob Bell or someone like that and listen to this stuff and be nodding their heads? That's called deception. They're being deceived with the word of God. How can this be? So what's the answer? How can this happen? We don't know the truth. When people are deceived, don't know the truth. The truth is not in you. So I'm going to reread the verse. Instead of it applying to Satan, let's just talk about people. Well, this part is about those who think that they're of the Father and they're not, but they are of a Father. So when Jesus says, you are of your Father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your Father. Well, if Joel Osteen is someone's father, spiritual father, then they're going to want to carry out his desires. And they will give their hard-earned money. 
They will sell their cars. They'll sell their homes. They'll do whatever they have to do to fulfill his desires. I've seen pictures of his backyard. And it's nicer than most resorts I've ever stayed in. While widows are giving their last pennies to plant that next flower in his backyard. How could this be? Well, because of this. These leaders are murderers. And there's no truth in them. So therefore they cannot stand in truth. Mary's right. There is actually no truth, no life of Jesus Christ inside the person to when they hear that stuff to say, no, this is not right. It is quoted scripture, but it is not right how it is being used on me. Because most of these guys are quoting scriptures throughout their messages and in their programs. But the Spirit of God inside is the one that says, just like Jesus is saying, there is no truth in him. You're able to go, no! This isn't right. And it takes being a Christian to do that. I really believe the closer we're going to get to the final hours, we are really going to be put to the test on whether we're really saved or not. I think it's really going to boil down to messages like this. Are you of truth or are you not? Do you have truth in you or do you not? Choose this day whom you will serve. Number three, who would like to read that? To own the things that are appropriate to Satan or that belong to his nature, to join the enemy in speaking falsehood, which originates by the enemy's own propensities or disposition, which utters the expressions of his genuine character which utters the expressions of his genuine character. So as we're listening to the Joel Osteens and the Rob Bells, we can actually hear, I, I'm, not, I'm really not that worried or concerned whether I'm able to rightly discern what they're saying. Uh, that's a duh to me. But as I listen to them, I'm able to see, hear, their genuine character on how they're using the Word of God. I've already checked the box that they're deceiving people. I don't need to pray about that. That's obvious. Now I can listen to their genuine character because then I can look at the 14,000 people and see they're going to become exactly like Joel Rosenberg. I mean, Joel Osteen, not Joel Rosenberg would be a good one to be like. But that's what's going to happen. They will become like the desires of their father. So I've already checked the box of who Joel is, whose father he's replicating, what father he's replicating. Now the people. Genuine character. Well, there's bad character qualities, good character qualities. The things that this leader does, not says, does, validates what he says. I want to see your backyard, sir. I want to see your cars, sir. I want to see your checkbook, sir. Because your heart is where your checkbook is. Sir, show me your goods. We just read the passing of John Scott, World Magazine. Jess was reading to me the story of how, how big was his apartment? And he was, is still to this day considered one of the greatest theologians that have lived in our day. 
supposedly famous in his ranks, but we had to think through if we have heard of him before. That is a leader of God. Because if you look at his goods, look at his backyard, you begin to see that it is matching what it is he was saying. But when there is a big difference between the Bentley and the gospel, and you're still throwing your pennies at it, then you have a problem. Not Joel Olstein. That box has been checked. We don't need to judge these brothers and sisters. Those boxes have been checked. And if you haven't checked them, of the Joyce Myers and the, the Joels and the, and the Rob Bells, and the, well then you're having some issues yourself with truth. Those are duh. So we can move on to the congregation. How do we reach them for the truth? Now we have a mission in front of us. Um, 2 Corinthians 11.3 says that I am afraid lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And that's what happens to those people. Right. They switch to a man instead of and their minds aren't renewed, so they don't catch it. Right. One of the fastest growing industries in the world today is Christian actually labeled Christian pyramid schemes. Like Amway and organizations like that who use Christianity to advance these pyramids. Amway is so large, in fact, they have their own Wall Street. Because they predicted 20 plus years ago Wall Street was going to collapse and it is not going to affect their empire. So that's deception. God wants us to empty out our bank accounts and live by hand to mouth as much as possible while we even make a lot of money for the purpose of you make the money to give the money away. As one of our politicians is actually saying, that is a biblical principle. But nowadays, Christianity does not look that. We are one of the wealthiest industries in the entire world. And it's no wonder the United States government wants to tax the church. We are incredibly wealthy. Why is Satan called a father? Remember, the father means originator or author. He then is the father or originator of falsehood. The word it in this passage refers to a lie or falsehood understood. From him, falsehood first. He became the first, which makes him the father. He was the first false one. He was the first false prophet. He was the first false angel. He was the first, you see what I mean? That's why Jesus does refer to him doctrinally as a father. He was the first. And all liars possesses his spirit are under, the, under his direct influence. This is why the, the Jews refer to uh, hear the truth which Jesus spoke and so they showed that they were the children of the father of lies which is the passage that we obviously were reading. To be a child of Satan you simply need to be born. Right? That's why we go to hell. Unless we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and receive the Holy Spirit into our mortal bodies so that that big T can be inside you so that when a false prophet comes up and tries to deceive you, it's not you that has the discernment. It is the big T. It's the big T and you goes, no, this isn't right. 
It's not you, your ability to discern because you're having devotions every day. It's not your ability to discern because you've graduated from, from two or three seminaries. It is the T. That's it. Studying to show thyself to handle accurately the word of truth is a different topic. But even mentally retarded people have the ability to have the truth discernment. And they can't even spell the words because they had a born-again experience. A godly earthly father refuses to carry out the desires of the father of lies and only fulfills the desires of the heavenly father. Very key principle. God has designed earthly fathers to teach God's laws continually to his children. Now, let's take the two things we've been talking about, put them together at this point. If your child has not received Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior yet, they don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling their body. Why would you teach them the truth? Which actually, if you keep it to the standards of biblical mandates, you're not really teaching them the truth, you're teaching them the laws. Big difference. Although the law is truth. Big difference. If you force a child to be taught and receive truth, you're forcing them to receive Jesus Christ. Bum choice. You can grow a child up thinking they're a born-again Christian, and when they grow up and die, they go to hell. There's going to be a lot of them like that. You should never handle a child like they are a Christian. But you should handle a child in training them up with the laws and rules and guidelines and structure of the living God. That's what the Old Testament's for. To bring you to a need of, I can't do this. And Christ goes, of course you can't. I can. Receive me, and I've already fulfilled all the laws and ways of my Father. Well, then why do you teach it to your children? So it's in them. So they can feel guilty. So they can feel like I'm inadequate. I'm nothing. I can't do it. I don't mount to anything. I am always upset. I'm fearful. I am, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am, until Christ comes to them one day and says, Of course you are! That's why you need me. And they receive the Lord Jesus Christ in their immortal bodies, and everything makes sense. Instantly, it all starts to make sense. They have understanding. Why? Because the truth resides in them. That's what grants understanding. That's what gives you ears to hear the word when it's preached that you go, yes, this is the truth. He wants his fathers to speak to them. This is God wants us fathers to speak to our children when you sit with them in your house, when you walk along the way, when you lay down with them, and when you rise up, that your days may be multiplied and the days of your children as the days of heaven. Yeah, as the days of heaven upon the earth. This is an obedient response to the design and function of mankind. Your brains are designed in such a way to retain information until it's called on. That's it. So it's our responsibility is to put it inside the brains of our children until it's called on. The Holy Spirit's role, literally, New Testament, John 8, 28, is to bring to remembrance the words of Jesus. Well, how'd they get in there? By the fathers. 
So the Holy Spirit shows up that one day and brings it all to remembrance. And that child says, yes, this is truth. Since children are called to carry out the desires of their father, to carry out the desires of their fathers, and the fathers need to make sure that their desires are to be those of the Lord. Children are ordered by God to do as the fathers do, un- uh, uh, as their fathers do, until they, as children, are able to establish real relationship with God the Father. A godly earthly father will impart the ways of the Lord to their children and to their children's children, and that's when we start getting into the order and design of. Grandparenting, which we're going to cover in a different message. A faithful earthly father will, number one, be a genitor, which is procreating more and more children. It's interesting as it is, if you know, Muslims are big on what? Procreating. So they're already having a numeric problem in many of the countries in the world because Satan did this little deception thing called you need to be responsible and have 2.3 children. That's two children and abort one. So 2.3 children. And so the whole world kind of got in on that. And it became a huge deal and it was launched primarily through a group of ladies that called themselves equal rights kind of gals who believe that women have rights to their own bodies. Out of that was birthed the freedom of choice for women. Out of that was birthed um, all the stuff that we are seeing right now in regard to women having the rights to abort children. Why? Because it all started with this deception of being responsible human being and being very careful about using up too much oxygen and having 2.3 children. Well, you think that the Muslims came up with that little scheme? Eh, Wrong answer. It was Satan who came up with that scheme. He used common sense truth with a small t to get people going, well, that really does make sense. I had a boy and had a girl. I've aborted one child, so I'm about good. And so hundreds and thousands of people around the world bought into that concept. So now abortion is as common as going to the store and getting donuts. Having two children, three children is as common as life. So now you have countries like China who are literally having huge homosexual problems because of them getting into this 2.3 thing and murdering all the female babies, you know, when they're born. You know the, the story. And so you think that was accidental? Absolutely not. What race is Satan behind? The Muslim race. Why? Because it is the Ishmael race. Because it is the race that will come against the race. So it's all to build up for a final war. So Muslims do the opposite of these sins. But yet they're still sins. They're living out the truth of procreation, but it's still a sin. See what I'm saying? That's what deception looks like. Joel Osteen may look like he is pure in truth, but in reality, the truth that he is using is in a sinful fashion. That's how this works. Number two, be an ancestor. Setting yourself up as a patriarch. Developing a heritage, a legacy to pass on to your children. Number three, be in, what is that? Yeah, maybe a different word I've meant to use. And, and a term of community respect. So, to have this man be someone who is looked at upon the community as a respectful citizen because he is doing this, he first needs to start with his respect with his, his tribe or his family. And then it goes into the community. And then it goes into state. 
then it goes into nation, and then it goes into the world. The Jews have done a fairly good job of keeping this intact, even though they have not been, done a real good job of maintaining truth within their culture, because truth is not in them yet. Number four, be a grandfather or a remote ancestor, which is what we've been talking about. Number five is be one who feeds and supports or exercises parental care over another. And that is not just your kids and grandkids. That is as a spiritual father or adopting children. And then number six, be one who creates and vents. This is, I was watching Q work in the shop yesterday and his old mind was busy and his fingers were busy and his knuckles were getting chunked and crunched. And, but he is one that I do watch who finds very creative ways to solve problems. See, that's part of his design. Men are to be inventors. A lot of women look at their husband and go, how do you do that? Where did you come up with that? It? It's because of the design to be inventors, coming up with solutions uh, to all kinds of stuff, actually. Number seven, be a father-in-law to influence another family lineage. So just because your daughter marries another uh, male lineage doesn't mean you don't have influence anymore. Biblically speaking, you now, the one who has the godly dominance, is the one who influences the other lineage. If both hierarchy patriarchs have got a godly lineage, then the two of those guys work together to manifest a full-on biblical lineage. You can really get stuff done. But it's all about who is really of God the Father. Number eight, to be an earthly a demonstration of the first person in the adorable trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Our emphasis of this talk is on the Father. Number nine, be willing to be uh, given the title of dignitary of the church or church leadership. So whether he's single or whether he's married, is to grow that young man up until he becomes a representative with integrity that is living out the truth in Christ Jesus to be a leader for the church. Seven, to be a senator, that is a governmental type of influence. Doesn't mean you go be a senator in Washington or down at the Capitol. The word senator didn't come from man's government. It came from God's government. So to be a senator is someone who literally is functioning as a father, and our senators are supposed to be fathers over our nation. Or our state senators are supposed to be fathers over our state. The representatives originally were set up to represent the senators. So you literally have patriarch, and then you have fathers, and then you have all of the workers. Our governments were set up, senator, house, reps. You can take this into a marriage. Senator is the husband. House rep is the wife. House representative is the wife. The body of people are the children. This is a very biblical concept. Here's where we're going in our, in our future talks. This is the basic growth pattern of attachment that a male child is supposed to be given the privilege by both parents to attach during these phases. During the infants, the worldly teachings of psychobabble basically says that infants are to be attached to their mother. That is not true. Infants are to be attached to the father. The mother is to be the feeding, the nurturing, the caring for the growth of that baby so the baby can actually attach to the father. Who the baby attaches to during the infant years 
is going to communicate the type of boy that a uh, type of man that boy is going to be a mama's boy or a daddy's boy satan knew that knew this obviously from design so he gets these this psychological principle in place in a culture to think that the babies are to be well bonded to the mother and then the father comes in about three years of age and decides, I think I remember Q saying his dad says, well, give them to me at two years of age and then I can, you know. Well, that's how a lot of guys were taught. They don't even mess with the infant until they're two or three. Didn't they expect them all of a sudden to go fishing with them? When they're scared to death of bugs. God designed that child to be in the arms of that father as much as possible. That doesn't mean that she goes off to work and he stays home and uses a bottle. No, the mother is the feeding tube, is the life source to that baby. But the emphasis needs to be as much time as possible, daddy needs to goo-goo, gaga, tickle, hold, walk, talk, as they're sitting, walking, life. So the child hears the voice of the father. Sorry, I didn't know that. I, I'm done. The boy needs to understand from day one to hearken to the voice of the father. What was the sin that Adam committed in the garden? When God came back to discipline, he says, because you, because you hearken to the voice of your woman. That is a root sin that Satan works at getting in all boys. Because you hearken to the voice of a woman, and then the rest can be added and colored in as you want. This is why the Hebrews lay this out this way. So it does not mean, please do not misunderstand me, that infants are not cared for by mama. They are. They do their full job. But this is being preached to the fathers to hold those babies, talk to those babies, carry them out with you to the barn or to just be let them let their brain start filling itself with the voice of the father three to six years of age is mama time it's total opposite of what society says this is mama time this is when the living skills are applied hold your fork this way no no this, this is when mama is, is given direct access to that mind of correction in a way that dad, by the way, is usually off tending to the farm to start with. But this is a very critical phrase, phase for those preschoolers, particularly preschool boys, to understand the basic model of living. Women are the example or representative of life, living. That is what Eve means. Mother of living. Mother of living skills. Then at seven years of age, the most critical age for the boy is when things are shifted back to dad. And this is when the male skills are applied that mama cannot apply. She can if she's read about it or watched her dad or whatever. But this is dad's job all those male skills how do you handle women how do you handle the farm how do you handle it all the male skills are applied from seven to nine years of age at 10 to 13 years of age is mom and dad this is when the child or is now a young adult actually begins to understand what it really means to have relationship with the opposite sex Because when that young man hits 13 years of age, you know what Hebrew law requires. 
a bar mitzvah. And that is by God's standard when dad is actually going to tell the whole world, we're finished with our son. He's a man. 13 years of age. It's no wonder that the Hebrew law sectioned it off like this so that by 13 years of age, that father could say to the whole community, it is finished. That doesn't mean the boy is kicked out of the house. In fact, it means he has to come to work with his dad as a man. And he's to be handled by the community as a man and his male skills and leadership skills are refined until he gets married. And he does the same thing. You know. No, he's graduating on time. Yeah, exactly. Like he was done. The Ideally, from the structure of Hebrew, uh, Vodi, what Vodi is doing is the correct way to do it. For the father to take over. Yes. Even if it's like at night, and the dad works during the day, and the son would have his formal education. At Ideally. Night. Ideally, the, that boy would then travel, would go to work with the father. And the father would, if there was book learning he had to do, whether it was at night and day learning, that is how it was done. And I don't think it was a strict regiment. Uh, I believe that there are many times that this Hebrew boy would be at home with the mother and, uh, but you do find this in the Muslim culture to this day that if a woman disrespected a nine-year-old, she was in trouble. And that's why America looks at that as this male, masculine, macho abuse. It is cultural to them. The women have no prerogative to correct the, the young men. Uh, they can't set them up for correction, but the father comes home. When your father comes home, that's that where that concept came from, is the father would deal directly with, with that male child. So, But in our culture today, we have to adapt. So is it wrong to mix the two? No, it's not wrong. Because it's our culture, and we have to obey our laws. So you have to take all that into consideration. But this is the design. So what, what I'm wanting all of us to see in this is that this is in the boy. This is in the young man. So John Mark, you're what? Eight, nine, ten, ten? So he just entered over into this phase. I personally believe the reason why you have homosexuality and gay marriages, and, 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 is because Satan has consistently mixed this up. So the boys are still attached to feminine things when they enter into the age of understanding how to handle the opposite sex. And so they're thrown into what we classify in counseling as mama boys. They have no idea how to, how to be a male father. And yet they now have desires that they're fighting to be a procreator. Since procreation is number one on the list, homosexuals can't procreate. They just have desires of the father. What father? The father of lies, because Satan's not married. Christ is. Christ is not gay. He's married. He has a bride. So this is all the setup for the bride of Christ. It's to maturate and mature the men, maturate and mature the women, to understand the role that we are going to play for the rest of eternity. Okay, on your notes, you will have this prayer. And... Uh, I'm going to have to learn how to shut this thing off. And um, again, my conviction is that you don't pray this prayer just because it's a prayer up there to be prayed and you feel a little guilt or something. Read it. 
study it a little bit, and if God leads you to pray such a prayer for your father, for your brother, for your yourself, or whatever the case may be, do it. With confidence, praying doctrinally in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events. And we will work to keep the focus on God Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family-integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org. We thank you for joining us. Get yourself in a pile, lose a shirt off your back. Need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare.